0: From the website, GirlfriendIt.com, and the movement, GirlfriendIt, here are Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan on Toginet.com.
1: All right, please, 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 please. We have been talking about our lofty dreams with our sound engineer, and I have a lofty one for you. What if every Christian believed they have been called into full-time ministry? What would happen? What would happen? Okay. You know, honestly, if we're going big with
2: dreams, we could change the world. And mm-hmm. I know that's lofty, And I know that you, um, you and I, we fly at 30,000 feet with our <laughs> ideas and with our thoughts. We've been told that before. Um, and we're okay with that. And that's why we need people to surround us that actually kind of land and make things happen. But with if, if it, it, it really, if each person truly did something that together, we really can make a difference.
1: Well, I, I have to ask you a question because you're, you're always very humble whenever I, I bring this up because you are truly out there. I believe that you are changing the world. You believe in all things peace. And just, just tell us, you just got back from a trip and it's everything about really becoming a peacemaker. And if everybody did their part in this big puzzle, you know, what would it look like? So tell us a little bit about what you've been working on. <laughs> in, like, in 30 seconds. seconds or less, right? In 30 seconds, because we have some amazing guests, so oh, we I really know. don't want to hear. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. well, we could say that for another time, but basically, you know, we you hear the word peace, and you go, oh, yeah, world peace changed the world, and, and we almost dismiss it, but... What if everyone embraced and said, I, I want to be a peacemaker, you know, in my home and in my community, and my church or wherever? And, yeah, you're right. I recently just got back from a trip to Israel-Palestine. And basically using that trip is kind of like a learning lab just to be able to see conflict um, in, in motion, basically, but also see amazing peacemakers that are leaning in. And it basically, you know, you can dismiss it and go— can peace ever really happen, especially over there? And then, and the problem with that thinking is we dismiss it and go no, and then nobody does anything. But what if somebody dares to say yes, peace is possible? And then I'm going to do my part. And then if everybody did that collectively, we really can change the world and change attitudes and and just change people's thinking. So, in a nutshell, that's that's kind of the peacemaking story. And we, well, you know, we want
1: to hear more about that, definitely. But. I you. Two, like you
2: said, we have two dynamic guests that are joining us today, and we're going to be talking about such things as racial reconciliation, um, living in a multi multicultural community, how do we uh, embrace diversity, and what does it look like to live our calling in the midst of the everyday stuff of routines and roles? And we, sometimes we get stuck in those places, and so we're like, I don't even know if I'm making a difference. I can't even see beyond You know, this pile of laundry, whatever that looks like. But before we get too far into our show, we just want to remind you that you're listening to Girlfriend It Radio with Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan, where we rally you to do the remarkable through resources and relationships. And we're going to have more information about today's show and other tips and tricks on our website at
1: girlfriendit.com. And you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Well, our first dynamic guest, Jeff Vanderstelt, is the visionary leader of the Soma Family of Churches and the lead teaching pastor of Doxa Church in Bellevue, Washington. He also travels around the United States and the world equipping the church in the gospel and missional living. Jeff is the author of Saturate, Being Disciples of Jesus in the Everyday Stuff of Life, and he and his wife Jane of 22 years have three children. So welcome, Jeff, to our show today. How are you?
3: I'm doing well. Thank you very much.
1: Well, Jeff, I have to say, Washington right now is looking really good when we're dealing with 115-degree weather here in Arizona. (laughs) Is it (laughs) raining there? Tell us it's raining so we can just have a dream for a second.
3: (laughs) Uh, Well, it it was raining this morning, yeah, so feel better about that, I guess. But, uh, (laughs) But it's been beautiful. It's been beautiful here, actually, so...
1: That's awesome. Well, you have been working with um, a business partner and an, another friend of yours, an uh, author, uh, Ben, who you guys work together on this book, Saturate Filled Guide. Tell us a little bit about um, that relationship that you have working with another author and why you guys decided that this is the book that God wanted you to write.
3: Well, I had already written a book called Saturate, uh, Being Disciples of Jesus in the Everyday Stuff of Life. And uh, it it was written to really begin to encourage people in everyday life to see that they are called to be uh, sent as God's people to be missionaries wherever he sends them, in the workplace, the school, neighborhood, wherever they're at. And then we found that a lot of people really wanted a guided uh, kind of uh, study that would enable them to begin to put it into practice. And Ben is a great educator. Uh, He understands the the, the world most people are living in, and so he he came along and said, "Hey, how about if I help put that into a form that's easily accessible and really uh, easy to follow?" So he he really became a partner in getting the field guide out that uh, is now serving a lot of people.
1: I gotcha. Now you you start out with the verse uh, in Habakkuk two fourteen. Share that verse with us and how it captures just the spirit and the message of this book.
3: Yeah, Habakkuk. 2.14 says uh, that there's going to be a day when the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea, which is a saturation point. And if you move forward into Ephesians chapter 1 at the end, Paul says that God has given all things to Christ uh, and given Christ on his head over all things to the Church, in which he fills all in all. And this picture is that God's people are meant to fill every sphere of society Uh, with the presence of Christ filling them so that they actually bring Jesus into everything they do. So the the idea is, what would it look like if the Church understood, the people of God understood, their role to be a Jesus-filled people saturating a world with the presence of Christ so that every person has the opportunity to have a daily encounter with Jesus in word and deed everywhere? That's really the vision. What would it look like if we would believe that to be true, live in light of it, and actually step into our calling as God's people in every single place in society.
2: Well, and you know what? That is such a great vision and and idea, and truly it can, it's, it could, should happen. I mean, that really should be how, how life should work. And that is such a great verse a, with a great visual about that. And I like how you guys have put together a field guide. Cause so many times it's, you know, we, we say to people, you know, we should be doing this or what, and people look at you like, I don't know how to do that. Can you just break <coughs> that down into the, you know, doable parts. And it's like, we think, because we said, Oh, we need to go change this or we need to go do this, or we need to live this way that we think people get it, but they're looking at us going, okay, what does that mean? What does that look like? So the fact that you put it down in an organized way to break it down really is significant, which makes it, you know, the probability of it actually happening goes, goes way up because you've equipped them. And so many times we don't equip, we just cast a vision. So what are some of the things when you started breaking this down, um, but some of the how to's that maybe seemed obvious at some point, but it, but actually people don't understand it.
3: Yeah. The, the elements in the book, uh, are built to do exactly what you described. Um, cause we often live like you guys already said earlier, at such like at the 30,000 foot level as visionaries and we call people to something that they don't know where to begin. They don't know the A to B to C to, to D process. So in, in the field guide, uh, we start with basically the reality of who Jesus is, what the gospel is, how it has. To, we have to be changed if we're going to actually bring change. So it starts there, and then it moves into what is real discipleship in everyday stuff. What does that look like? Because it's not a class you attend. It's not a Sunday service you go to. It's It's an everyday kind of a reality. So how do you do discipleship in the everyday stuff of life? And then we work through uh, what is your new identity in Christ, and how would that shape how you live in every single moment? And then toward the end, we identify what are the normal rhythms of life you're already engaged in, and what if you engaged in those with gospel intentionality in light of who Jesus is, what he's done, and who you are in Christ. So that's kind of the the general movement of the book. It's set up so you you have something every single day that is, you know, first of all, here's the concept, understand that. Day two, here's what the Bible says about it. Day three, do some reflection on it. And, and it's got lots of room for you to, to write, to interact, to journal. Uh, and then you, it moves you towards, now start to pray towards these things, come up with some ideas on how to do it. It's all guided. So that way, by day six, uh, which is really the day ideally you would meet with a group of other people who are also doing the study, and you, you begin to talk through what are we learning? What would we do about this? How do we do it together? And then, and then really move forward in the next week with the same kind of process. So it's, it's a guided study that leads you to actually practically put together a plan for how you would live this out in your normal everyday life.
2: Wow. That, that sounds amazing. So basically when they get done, um, it's kind of like having your own personal journal that you can look back over that you've kind of created your own kind of book. About your life and where God is calling you. You said something earlier um, about just identity and and knowing who you are. That's such a huge, huge thing, um, especially for women. Is who really am I? And as life goes on in the transitions of life, you know, whether um, now you're a new mom or now you're an empty nester, it's like, okay, who am I in this season of life? And so we're constantly you know, kind of having to reinvent ourselves and know who we are. And so just that identity and knowing at the core who we are in Christ makes all the difference in the world because we have so many things around us changing. Um, we have less than two minutes before we're going to take a break. I love this conversation, Jeff. Um, I, want, I want to hear a little bit more um, if you can do this in a minute and then we can continue how you got, what, what was the, the why that you go, we need to create this. Where did saturate come from?
3: Well, I I saw that most of the church didn't know how to value their everyday life as the place in which God intends for them to be a disciple who makes disciples. Uh, They saw churches an event they attend versus a people who are sent by God into the world. And so we knew we've got to give people a vision for what it looks like to be God's people sent by God's power for God's purposes every single place, every single day. And uh, so part of it was to get the vision for it, and then second, to actually say, what would it look like to help you live this way? Because Ephesians 4 is clear, God has given some of the church to equip the the saints for the work of ministry, not to do the ministry for the saints. And therefore, our job is to help the, the people of God actually realize that the real work of the church is not on Sunday. It's, it's Monday through Saturday. It's in the home. It's in the neighborhood. It's in the workplace. It's in the school. So that, that's really what motivated us is to really equip, empower, and release the church to actually be who they were meant to be in the world.
2: And those are three great words. And I love the word release because that's what we should be doing all the time is releasing this out and, like you said, equipping and empowering people. We're going to take a quick break. And we're going to be right back.
0: This is Girlfriended on Togginap. Don't forget to tell your friends to check it out on Girlfriended.com. It's time to discover it, connect it, propel it, Girlfriended. And we'll be right back with more Girlfriended Radio right after these. For more information, go to stadia.cc. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond.
4: It is not a myth that healthy, nutrient-dense foods are more expensive than many junk foods. Researchers at the University of Washington found that healthy foods like lean meats and whole grains have increased nearly 30% in the past four years, while soft drinks and candy have only gone up 15%. Since meat is one of the most expensive items that you purchase at the grocery store, it's a good idea to cut back on meat, especially for health reasons. Filling up on fresh fruit and vegetables is a great way to lose weight, keep healthy, and keep food costs down. Eating beneficial, delicious foods keeps you lean, strong, and in good health. It is possible to eat healthy food and keep costs down. Your goal is to lose weight, not money. For the Fitness Minute... I'm Annette Hammond. Like us on Facebook at Fitness Minute with Annette Hammond.
0: Welcome back to Girlfriended Radio. A chance for you to let your hair down, curl up with a mug of whatever you love, and have some nice girl talk. It's Girlfriended, the radio show on Toginet.com. And now back to the show with your hosts, Patty and Lisa
1: talking with author Jeff Vanderstelt about having that vision of what would the world look like if we all truly believed that we were out there and we were um, uh, just on a mission for Christ. And he is the author of the book, Saturate Being Disciples of Jesus in the Everyday Stuff of Life. And Jeff, we've been talking a little bit about being at that 30,000 feet vision and I just want to bring it down to a level of so many times when Lisa and I are chit chatting about, you know, we're dreaming of what would this look like. And, you know, Lisa, you're out there on just this um, peace mission. And, and yet some of our listeners are saying, you know what? I'm here in the land in between. I'm, I'm just complaining about my manna that's coming <laughs> I can't deal with my neighbor next door. I can't deal with my husband, you know, my spouse. I can't deal with, uh, my coworker and I'm over here really you know wanting to you know just to to shine for Jesus I crave Jesus, but I don't even know how to deal with conflict and I'm just curious um, in in your book do, do we are we able to walk through that because we know that Satan truly is out to destroy and we just see over and over again that he's out to destroy relationships and I think sometimes we're not aware of that. We have our Bible studies and we share our story and then we wake up the next morning and we go to work and all of a sudden, you know, the secretary is just getting your goat. <laughs> so how do we deal with that?
3: Well, I think at the heart of it is if if you really yes, – yes, the answer, first of all, to your question is yes, it, it does come up in the book, um, the, the book Saturate. I definitely deal with that pretty Quite a bit, but it also in the field guide that some of the processes that you'd walk through in your study, you would address some of those issues as well. But I would say to answer, how do we deal with that? I think if, if we don't really understand the gospel, not just that we've been saved, but that we are being saved, but there's an active present work of the Holy Spirit transforming our hearts. We learn how to walk with the present real God in our life, uh, changing us and then even mindful of what the gospel means for us in terms of our relationships. Like, you don't work for peace if you don't understand that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. You don't love your neighbor if you don't realize he loved you when you were an enemy. I mean, all the things that he's done to you, he intends to do through you. And so much of what we understand to be true of Jesus in his life, his death, his resurrection, and his future return should be shaping and transforming how we engage in every single relationship. So our ability to engage relationally with other people will always be connected to what we know to, to be true of us and God. I, I say it regularly to our people that your vertical relationship is expressed in your horizontal. So what you're experiencing in the horizontal is, an, is a reflection of what you believe to be true of who God is and what he's done for you in Christ and who you are now in your new identity. It always is that way. So a lot of it for many of us is repenting of our wrong beliefs repenting of the lies we believe, repenting of the, 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 the ways in which we have put our hope in a false God instead of the true God who's shown it to us in Jesus Christ.
1: Mm-hmm. And do you feel like that, that's where that disconnect is between, you know, Christians say that they believe, but then they don't actually live that life? Is that, I, I love that how you said the vertical versus the horizontal. Explain what you mean by that, because that's a, that's a great visual.
3: Yeah, for instance, um so if I I have a neighbor who is just getting on my nerves and uh, having a hard time loving them and I say well the, you know they're just they're just mean or they're you know they don't they don't treat me well. When I remember that that we see in Jesus the love of God, the Father, that He loved us while we were still enemies. You know, Romans 5 eight says, this is how we can know the love of God, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. So it's this idea that when I truly believe I was an enemy of God and Jesus went to the cross and died for me when I was an enemy, and He then transformed me from being an enemy to being a child of God, dearly loved, regardless of what I've done or what I will do, I'm now loved, accepted, forgiven. I'm a new creation in Christ. If I believe that's true, that's that birth vertical relationship, then when I look at my neighbor, I look at them in light of what God has done to me. So then I go, I want to love them in the way that I've been loved. First John says it this way, you can't say uh, that you know God who is love if you don't have love for others in your heart. And so uh, the idea that, uh, that God's love transforms me, but it also transforms how I relate to everyone else. So every time I'm struggling in a relationship, what I need to go back to is say, what, what did God already do for me in Christ? What is true for me in Christ? Because if I've got a love of another kind from God, that he loves his enemy when through Christ, then I have that love to give to my enemy. I have that love to give to my neighbor, just like Jesus gave it to me. But if I, if I find myself going, I, I just can't love them like that, it's likely connected to the fact that I don't believe that I've been loved like that, mm-hmm. nor do I have a love that can love like that. And so therefore I need to get pushed back to God through Jesus Christ to receive a love of another kind.
1: Mm-hmm. Has there been a time when you've actually witnessed that transformation where someone who said that they they were a Christian and it just seems like it's all intellectual? It's all you know they're just reading the Bible, they're going to Bible study, they're going to church, and then it's as if they get it. Like all of a sudden, it goes into their heart, and
3: you're yeah. Now it's
1: it's about the love versus the intellectual.
3: Yeah, I, I see it all the time. In fact. One of the things I, I regularly do when I'm discipling people is I, I tell them, your your life reveals your faith. So you can say that you believe God is sovereign, but when you live with constant fear and anxiety, then you actually don't believe he's in control or you don't believe he's good or you don't believe he has your best interest. So your faith shows up in your works. Um, when you say you believe in a God who loves the sinner, but you you reject people because of their sin. Then your faith is showing up in your work. So you can't actually say you believe something and then live in a way that denies your very your very statement. Uh, your your life does reveal your faith. The uh, way I usually say it is the fruit of your life reveals the fruit the roots of your faith. And so what we want to do is do a fr- fruit to root work in everyone's life, where we say what are the roots of your faith in what is what does the fruit of your life show you believe to be true about God. And what he's done for you in Christ and who you are, those three questions. And so regularly, as I have people wrestle with the fruit of their life, they see that they actually don't live out what they say they believe, because what they say they believe does not match the life they live. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that's what usually leads them to say, oh, I need help. I guess I'm really broken. You know, I lack integrity because I say one thing and do another.
1: I I love that fruit to root. What, what, it what are your thoughts on, on the millennials, on their perspective? Because I, I feel as though um, I have a couple in my house right now, and um, they really want to see the fruit, but then I don't see them—and I'm being very broad, so I apologize to all the millennials that might be offended by this statement—I don't see them diving into God's Word. Um, you know, They're so eager to fight for a cause. They're so eager to share their love. But it's that one, it seems more heartfelt, emotional rather than the spiritual discipline. Would you agree with that or am I way off by
3: saying that? No? Well, I think, I don't think that you're way off. I think what's going on in a lot of cases with millennials is they have a very strong sense of. Uh, desire for justice and mercy to take place because they're more informed than any generation ever in the history of humanity mm-hmm. in terms of what's going on in the world. And they have more access immediately. They've learned how to have more access immediately to information. Now what you're seeing, and I think what we're seeing too everywhere is that because they're so used to getting immediate, quick feedback and action or information through, through social media, the, the word of God opening the Bible feels slow, arduous, Feels antiquity. There's a lot of things that I think they, they don't see it connecting to the world of, of mercy and justice and a- action. Um, and so I think part of the job of the church is to equip the millennials to see that the word of God has got to be their guide for how they engage in justice and mercy because you can't have true justice and mercy without the truth of God. He's the author of it all. But I think we've got to do a better job of helping them see the connection between what God's word says and what we do. And I think they have a, have a good case to make right now about a church that says they believe something but has done very little uh, around what they say they believe. And so there's a critique I think that's healthy coming to the church, but the critique I'm giving back as I interact with millennials is you can't just critique, you actually got to do something, but you got to have a foundation that's strong enough to do it from. And so I think the next phase we have in front of us is to help the millennials be grounded in the word be Mm -hmm. active in their work and actually be connected to a community of faith while they do it. And those are the pieces that I think we've got to work hard at.
2: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, and you know, it is with, with with that age group and with, and with all age groups, it's so easy to sit back and, and because like you said, even like this taking time to sit and to study um, and not for a way just to, to get the, the, you know, intellectual knowledge, but, For reading it for transformation, you know, God, what do you want to say to me through your word? What do you want me to know? How do I apply this? I think that is, you know, how do we and even create space and opportunity for them to be able to study like that. Um, and it, like you said our our culture is so quick paced and we we 're just a click away from anything we need, basically but it's it's it 's really taken that time to slow down and to dive in, but to also have that conversation and then the action around it, like what am I going to do with this now? What does this look like to truly live it out and I think that 's what you're saying with Saturate: how do we truly live out the gospel, not just absorb it but exhale it at the same time and Jeff we only have like two minutes less than two minutes before we have to, to end this and Patty and I just want to thank you so much for just coming on and sharing just your heart and this is it's been such a challenge and an inspiration to us um, just to, to, to dive in and to be that voice and to release what we have received from God um, but also to be open to receive God's love for each one of us, because um, we can't give away what we have not owned. And so, um, thank you for that challenge. In the in the last minute we have, how do our listeners find more information about you and about this book, and anything you want to you want to say before we we conclude our time?
3: Yes, you can go to saturatetheworld dot com. That's saturatetheworld dot com. And there's information about not only the book and other resources, but online videos and training and a community that's actually beginning to uh, interact around these ideas. So it would be the best place to go. Um, In terms of what I'd like to say – I would just love to call the listeners to, to take seriously the fact that Jesus suffered and died on a cross not so that we could go to heaven when we die, but so that we could also bring heaven to earth through our lives today, that there is, a, there is something about being God's people in the place of darkness and, and brokenness and pain that we need to re-embrace and realize that there is great hope uh, in the gospel of Jesus Christ, and there's great power in the spirit filling us to be his people right now, uh, to bring good news to the world. So please don't underestimate God's work and in your life and what he wants to do through your life.
2: And so well said. Thank you so much, Jeff. We're going to take a break and we're going to be right back.
0: This is Girlfriended on TuggyNap. Don't forget to tell your friends to check it out on GirlfriendIt.com. It's time to discover it, connect it, propel it, Girlfriend It. And we'll be right back with more Girlfriended radio right after these.
4: We were thriving in a youth ministry when God clearly called us out of our Bible Belt comfort zone to plant a church in California.
0: It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond.
4: Getting a good night's sleep is a valuable commodity these days. Weight Watchers Magazine reports that 70% of American women are plagued with sleep problems. 31% have trouble falling asleep, while 24% don't have enough time to sleep, and 18% have trouble staying asleep. Getting enough sleep can really affect your weight and your risk of being obese. The less sleep you get, the greater the risk. The two hormones that tell you to eat and also to stop eating are directly affected by the amount of sleep you get. Experts say that most of us need seven and a half hours a night. By sleeping less than that, your metabolism slows down and cortisol levels rise, which gives you a greater appetite. So make sufficient sleep your priority so your exercise will be effective and efficient. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond.
0: Welcome back to Girlfriended Radio, a chance for you to let your hair down, curl up with a mug of whatever you love, and have some nice girl talk. It's Girlfriended, the radio show, on Toginet.com. And now back to the show with your hosts, Patty and Lisa.
1: Joining us now is Kimberly Bolden, who leads and serves with other church planners' wife, wives in the ministry of Bloom, to connect, empower, and lead. Bloom empowers women to maximize their role in starting churches. Bloom is also under the umbrella of Stadia, which transforms lives and communities through church planting and plants churches that are intentionally care for children, and they won't stop until every child has a church. Our next guest, Kimberly, is a native of Trinidad and Tobago, born to a Jamaican mom and a Trinidadian dad, now American citizen living in Atlanta. She and her husband helped lead Plant Tri-City Church in Atlanta in 2012. And Kimberly, I just want to hear all about the way that you and your husband are doing things that are different as you are planting churches in
5: Atlanta. Tell us your story and welcome. Hi. Hi, Lisa. Hi, Patty. Um, thanks for having me on the show. You bet. Well, our, our planting story is it's a little bit different, you know, a little bit out of the orthodox. my um, husband and I we were living in Princeton, New Jersey, prior to returning to Atlanta, We were there. We were loving it. I was at a ministry called, a part of Christian Union called Princeton Faith in Action, and he was in seminary at Princeton Theological Seminary. And he was in the middle of writing his thesis on multicultural churches and race reconciliation, and he gets this email from a contact asking if he'll be interested in returning to Atlanta to plant a church. So, you know, this was our first, you know, basically plunge into church planting. Now we have been part of ministries. We've helped integrate ministries. He's been a senior pastor before. We've gone down that road. But being an intentional, multicultural, and multiracial ministry was a bit different. We moved back in October of 2012 where he is the lead planter But we have co-pastors, and my husband is African-American. He's in his early 30s, and he he leads in co-pastors with a Caucasian guy who's in his late 40s. And one of the things that we strive to do as ministry leadership is that we try to deal with the tension of what it looks like to effectively minister to these two major people groups. In our, we, we live on the south side of Atlanta. You know, it's majority black, African American, and there's some gentrification happening where there are a lot more Caucasians moving in or moving back. But we, we, we're very intentional about our church fitting that 50%, you know, 50 50 model. So mm-hmm. we deal with the tension, especially with everything that's happening in society. You know, the tension of how do we lead and serve well, hearing, you know the the cause the desires the complaints the needs of these two people groups yeah so when we you know when, when, when one of our things the sentence also unsaid is that we will walk with you you know to the path through holiness and we will walk in this tension and you know what would come with being a diverse organization a diverse church but we do not want dissension so it's all about unity you know and it's been interesting. It's been definitely a learning experience for all of us. It's been a learning experience for me. I I lead a group of women on Tuesday night in my group. <laughs> you know, it, 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 we call it a tribe now. If everyone were to attend, maybe about 23 women. And we're all from different walks of life. You know, the the group, you know, we, we may be half and half when it comes to race. We've been walking with them. In dealing with some of the racial issues and the nuances that we deal with, it's been very enlightening. One of the things that I repeated to them, I had a pastor back in Princeton, and he said, "You know, we can't expect these people to come to our churches if they first don't come to our table." Mm. So we we really try to foster community and conversation around the table, and I think this helps in our small groups at the church. As well, where we create spaces to talk about the hard things. So it's been—it's been well. Our church is about 150 to 160 people on a Sunday morning, and and it's half and half. Our our worship, you know, we do half contemporary, half gospel. You know, in our in our children's ministry, there's definitely a desire to integrate more urban ministry and more urban music because we have a lot of Black and African American kids. You know, it's been great. It's been great. It's been great also being a part of a leadership team where there are, you know, two pastors, or we'll say two first ladies with different perspectives, and we could bring the things that we struggle with to the table and walk through it, pray through it, plan through it together. So it's been good.
1: That's amazing. Now, Kimberly, you just mentioned uh, that when you were at Princeton, and uh, you left a ministry there at Princeton University. And I'm assuming that that is um, predominantly Caucasian. How was that for you there? And then all of a sudden to come here, and you're you know,
5: 50-50. Well, it, it was interesting. So I was part of this organization, Christian Union. They do phenomenal work in the Ivy. You know, their, their target market is developing leaders, you know, to, to, to change nations. And we realized that the top leaders around the world usually attend Ivy League schools. Princeton is your largest ministry. And at that time, I served with, as I said, Princeton Faith in Action. There was also a ministry by the name of Legacy, which at that time, they sought to meet the needs of the students were that were African-American or the Africa diaspora. So those that came from Africa or part of the Caribbean or from Brazil so African heritage. And and it was interesting at that time, while I was there, I may have had maybe 65 girls that may have been from, you know, African-American background, a part of the organization, so I led small groups there. And, I mean, it's not my first rodeo being in a multi-ethnic ministry. Yes, very upper class, you know, majority Caucasian, but there was definitely space. To learn, they wanted to learn from these girls. They wanted to learn from me. I mean, there was definitely an open air on what could be done differently. And there was growth. There was exponential growth. So it was great and it prepared me for the leadership role that I, you know, I have now as a pastor's wife here in Atlanta. And also just some of the hard questions. You know, a lot of, a lot of these kids, they come from, you know, very diverse background. Some of them, you know, do not have a faith community or, you know, came from an atheist background or from closed countries. And having those hard conversations with them and also they interfacing with someone, you know, who's, a, who's seen as a minority and, and being able to ask those questions without a feeling of, oh, my gosh, what is she going to think if I were to ask this? It helps. It helps. So I think I help them with the comfort level of, of talking about some of the hard things, and they helped me understand what it's like to be in their shoes. So mm-hmm. I, I will definitely say I gained a lot of leadership qualities and leadership principles at Princeton. There was definitely a home and a place for me there, and it was sad when we did leave. Oh, I bet. you know bet. It, when we did leave. I mean, I was sad. You know, my husband was sad. The ministry, they, they were sad to see us go. You know, but it it was definitely a great experience, a great, a great experience. You know, and it's something that I definitely recommend for people that desire to minister to all people, all nations, is to get into a, a space where you are the minority mm-hmm. and and learn from them. There's, there's so many things that we can learn when we simply listen. Mm-hmm. And that's so a good a-
1: point. Lisa and I will say, you know, at different time, we we want to go to a, a church that's just all African American because, mm-hmm. you know, our I look at my own church and see that it's I feel like it's cross cultural, very you know, more than just one dimensional, and and yet I know that it's predominantly Caucasian. So I I know I'm very naive by even saying that, um, but I. I I have to backtrack just a little bit. I'm kind of fascinated that you were at Princeton University. Um, So (laughs) when I think of like Harvard and Princeton, you know, they they were founded on such Christian principles. And now Mm -hmm. I hear so much that it's, there's a lot of, it's just very agnostic people and um, moved so far away from those Christian principles. Would you say that that is, that there's some truth in that? In, in being there or do, or are people still you know craving jesus
5: um i mean there's definitely there's definitely truth there's definitely truth i mean it's more progressive you know it's it's a very elite and well-trained academic society you know an arena you know some of the best the, the best minds thought leaders from around the world they do attend these i believe but god is still moving God is still very much moving, and there's still very much a hunger there. So, yes, you know, it may seem at times that there may be a bit of hostility to us, Christianity, and that is true. But God still works, and there are people that are constantly being discipled daily. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I mean, the, the, the way we do things now, you know, we're, we're a lot more intentional. It's not just about saving souls. You know, I think you know there, there there was a point in time in Christianity where we're all about the saving of souls and seeking to save. When honestly, God is the only one who saves. You know what what we realize is that these these kids, these young adults, need people to do life with. Mm-hmm. You know, so walking alongside them as they transition from being a teenager to being an adult, from being a student to being a leader, to, you know, entering the banking sectors and entering medicine and entering all these different subcultures with our society and seeking to find a landing ground, there is a need and a space and a place for something or someone to believe in. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and what we do is that we become most like what we closely align ourselves with. But if most of the time you're, you're in the book, you're studying, you're, you're all about reason, there's, and there, there isn't anything wrong with reason, but reason becomes your best friend inherently, your God, you find yourself trending that way. Mm-hmm. But, there's, but if there's someone with you to walk with you and realize that there's more to life than this, and there is a reason actually for this, and how can you know you tangibly be a part of what God is doing here, you... You can be a Princeton graduate and still love Jesus, mm-hmm. and that is perfectly okay. So, yes, there's some tension there. You know, there, there is, you know, definitely a pushing away from Christianity, but there's also a hunger, and there's great Kimberly, opportunity. Kimberly, on
2: that note, we're going to have to take a break, and we're going to come right back and continue our conversation. We'll be
1: right back. Okay.
3: Decades pass in the blink of an eye. Things change because time never stands still. Have you ever wondered what life was like in the proverbial way back when? Visit the historic Goodman LeGrand Home and Museum to witness a time capsule of days gone by. Located at 624 North Broadway in Tyler, Texas, with open hours of 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. every Tuesday and Saturday, it's more than worth your time. It's a must to remember life as it was. Call 903-531-1286. That's 903-531-1286 to learn more.
0: Welcome back to Girlfriended Radio. A chance for you to let your hair down, curl up with a mug of whatever you love, and have some nice girl talk. It's Girlfriended, the radio show. On togynet.com. And now back to the show with your hosts, Patty and Lisa.
1: Well, we are back with Kimberly Bolden, who leads and serves with other church planners' wives in the ministry of Bloom, that is there to connect, empower, and lead. Bloom empowers women to maximize their role in starting churches. And Kimberly, I have to say, um, what you're doing is just amazing. And I know that uh just hearing your passion and seeing how Christ is working in you um I just I love it just even The the little things that you're saying, I I just want to go, okay, stop. And I want to interrupt you and go unpack that. Now stop and unpack that. Uh, But uh, I just love your passion. Tell us a little bit. I know you you also, in doing all these things, you you write material for faith-based industries such as Catalyst and Orange Conferences. And you are also a foster mom for a precious little one-year-old. So um, do you have other
5: children or you're um, fostering this? This one child okay so we do not have other children now you could count my dogs and chickens if you want to but
1: do you know
5: you know I say all of this but this is credit to my husband he's very much an industrious you know an amazing man so he preaches and teaches and he builds things and we have furniture and art pieces around the home. And, he, you know, he's been asking me for the last three years whether we could have chickens, and I, I finally obliged. <laughs> so we have chickens and we have dogs. But um, we do not have kids. We've been married. We'll be married for eight years on July 19th. And we've tried, you know, the past five years. We've been very intentional about trying, and it hasn't happened. You know, I'm not ruling it out, and I believe, you know, God has, has his time and he has his place and he has his ways. But during that time, we also realized that there's a legitimate need for homes for children that need love. Absolutely. You know, and, you know, and I'm not one of these people that would say, you know, well, you know, there's these awful parents out there and we need to save these kids. No, I believe that God loves all these people, you know, and he, he's writing their redemption story, just as he did mine, just as he did yours. And some of these parents just need time to realize that. So. In the midst of it, there are so many kids in the foster care system that my husband and I, we decided that, you know, while we're living life and life is good and life is fulfilling, you know, we have the place, we have the space, we have the means to care to someone else. So last year, around September, October, we decided to move forward in what it would look like to foster, adopt. I mean, we, we didn't exactly know what we wanted to do. We talked about adoption. We t- talked about fostering. You know, we try to gain a little bit of information about both, and we came upon this ministry actually was recommended to us called Faith Bridge. And Faith Bridge is a Christian-based foster care ministry out of Alpharetta, Georgia, which is on the north side of town, where, you know, their goal is, you know, ultimately the reunification of these children with their parents. But to love these children as Christ loves the church. Mm -hmm. And so we, it, it took us seven months. Seven long. It felt like long months, but we were finally met with a dear one-year-old. You know, three weeks ago, and he is a definite joy. He's a definite joy. God has been walking with us and with him during this process. So this during this time, you know, we're supporting the family and we're loving on him until the family is ready to have him back in their home. You that
2: know, is but it's amazing. Just, that is amazing sir. I think our our church is really engaged because uh, we have. A kind of a crisis in the state of Arizona with foster care, um, children sleeping in the hallways and the numbers just keep going up. And, you know, we're trying to really step in as a church and a collective of churches and going, how do we be a part of the solution and how do we love these kids? And so, like you're saying, when you open up your heart and your home, um, you know, there's some heartbreak that comes with it because you you fall in love with these kids, and at mm-hmm. the same time, you know that um, they're kind of on loan for you to love them. And I love how you said we had the the home and the heart and the place and the space. And you know, we earlier in the show we were talking about what does it look like to live as disciples of Jesus in the everyday. And that's what you're doing. It's like in the everyday of just opening my home and loving and being a part of somebody else's story. And I think that, you know, one of the amazing things I just observed, because my my children, my, my, grown, um, my son and daughter-in-law, they are foster parents and they have adopted one and have another one. And just watching the journey, because it's not only like you said about the child, it's about their family. And God Mm -hmm. working in their lives and, you know, redeeming and transforming. And so the story is bigger than what we see in one child. It's so much more. And and truly, it's a great chance to love and love unconditionally because there's a lot of heartache in that, giving your heart away (laughs) and no guarantees, you know, with that. So I truly just admire anybody who steps into that arena of fostering and loving. And so I just... I just commend you. I think it's amazing. Um, and you know, it really is loving others. You know, that's what we should be doing, whether it's the children or whoever it is that you know, you see a need and I love how you said we, we had this. We could do something about it. So you know,
5: and the thing the, the thing about it too is that you know, I think as disciples of Christ we've called we've been called to live open handedly. You know, not grudgingly, whether it be with all money, with all love, with with uh, you know, our resources. And, you know, God gives and He God takes away. And I think when we realize that God is sovereign and his ways are good, we may not totally understand what good looks like in the here and now, but ultimately they're good. You know, we mm-hmm. could live into that. And, you know, it, it, it's easy for our emotions to get caught up. As I know when this child does leave my home, they will be serious and I will be sad. And I may pout for a few days but realizing ultimately that God's ultimate goal is reconciliation, him to his people and families to one another, you know, I, I'm forced to think out, outside the box. I have to go greater than that. Mm-hmm. You know, because the seed sown in loving this child, I may never see the reward of it, but it may be him loving his children well. Mm-hmm. But it's also an
2: encouragement of, like, you know, how do I think once you start embracing that and you start, you know, engaging in that, it's like then I think your eyes are open even to around you. Where where are others that I could, I need to love? Well, you know, yeah. that I need yeah. to yeah. embrace in my community. And I love what you were saying earlier about even how you're engaging in, re- in racial reconciliation and being there in the South. My guess it is probably a little bit more heightened than it is out here in the West, um, yeah. And my family is all from the South. And so I grew up just with that awareness of all of that. Um, but it's like, what a great chance is to, as, you know, as followers of Jesus teaching to step into that and go, you know, love crosses all boundaries, no matter what those yeah. boundaries are, um, whether yeah. it's race, culture, you know, whatever that is. And we have a golden opportunity to cross that and to love and to love anyway and to love first. You know, and yes. I see that's what you're doing that's on it. so many levels. And so how do you continue to encourage, even in your community, and just encourage other people to step into the messiness of diversity and find that, you know, that that unity there, you know, that um, that can exist. It's very beautiful.
5: Well, two things. I want to tell you, so I live in East Point, Georgia. You know, we've we've gotten a lot of bad press. Lately, you know, it's been said it's one of the worst suburbs in America. And I listen, it's, it's crazy because it's on the south side of Atlanta. The communities are great. Our neighbors are great. You know, but we, when it comes to class, you know, it's, it's, it's lower. It's lower class. And it's hard. It, it, it's hard. There's a lot of transition. But one of the things that I'm, I'm learning is that I don't have all the answers. Hmm. I don't. And the people that, even, that are even writing policies, they don't have all the answers. The church does not have all the answers. What we need is an opportunity and space for us to all come to the table and listen. Mm-hmm. Not to be understood, but simply to understand. Right. Mm-hmm. And I may not agree with you. I may not agree with you. And I may not understand it all, but if this is undergirded in grace, Meaning, you know, I'm, I'm I'm giving you the benefit of the doubt, something that I was so undeserving of, God gave to me, I'm giving to you, but speaking truth and love, but hearing you and validating, I believe many things could be changed if we honestly stay and live like we love people. Create, So I would say create a space and the opportunity to meet people that don't look like you or act like you or don't roll in the same circles that you roll in or you know, their, their background and their manner and their experiences are different. Create an opportunity to come to the table and listen. Mm. Just listen, you know, quick to listen, slow to speak, and even slower to be angry. You know, I mean, we, we know that we're living in a tenth time in the nation. There's a lot, a lot of nuances that are happening around race and religion. And we all want to speak at the same time, but Maybe it's a time to truly listen and to hear what other people are saying. And you may not agree. You may mm-hmm. walk away and say that's not right. But me loving you is me giving you the space to express what you think right is. And then let's walk together and, and talk about it. Let's talk about it. But I have to be first willing to listen and, and, and view you as a person. You and I are on, on the same standing where God teaches. He loves both of us the same.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, and so many times with people, it's like, I just want to know that I'm being heard, that you're listening to me. I don't expect you to fix it necessarily, but please mm-hmm. just hear me and validate that you're hearing who I am, my journey, my challenges. And, and that's a lot of times that diffuses so much, just, like you yeah. said, just being heard and knowing that I'm being heard. Um, and, but, but it's taking the time, like you said, to create the space to listen and to sit around a table together or sit around or just be together and go, I just want to hear, just tell me your, your journey, tell me your thoughts, tell me what you think. I don't know. And I need to understand and just those like conversations for clarity and understanding are so significant. Um, Kimberly, we only have a couple minutes, um, till we have to say goodbye. Again, thank you for just being a part of our show. Um, love, I, I, Patty, and I just love your heart and love your passions and your, your energy and your desire to just love and to lead with love. And so if there's anything you want to say, we have one minute that you just I want got- to leave. Um, you know, our listeners, just to have, to understand.
5: Okay. My, my last thought would be, you know, choose to live with integrity over being a celebrity. You know, we live in a world where everybody wants to have a platform. So mm. our goal should be, am I following Christ before we're wondering who's following us? You know, the quality of our relationships are far more important than the quantity of our relationships. Mm. You know, so, You know, am I following Christ? Am I living with integrity in every part of my life? You know, instead of how many people are watching what I do or waiting for my next next tweet or Instagram or Snapchat or Facebook. You Mm -hmm. know, so if it's just one person who's changed by the way I live and what I say, then that makes a difference. And as God praises, he glorified in the midst of my relationship. So that is that a great it.
2: last thing to say. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, I love that. Am I following Christ before wondering who is following me? And that is we so need to do. Well, again, thank you for joining our show. We have to go. Until next time, you've been listening to Girlfriend at Radio.
5: Thank you so much. You have a great one.
0: Thank you for being a part of this special program, Girlfriend It, the show dedicated to the most important woman you know, yourself. It's the show.